1 Samuel chapter 12, we are going to read, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5, 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 5. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said to him, He is witness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in, in 1 Samuel 12, if you hear you hear what he's saying there, you might want to ask yourself, why is Samuel uh, laying out before all Israel his personal integrity? Why is he laying out in front of all Israel his character, his righteous life, and his godly leadership? You know, today, um, we have people who toot their own horns, <laughs> right? In fact, we, we hear people being taught to toot their own horns. Uh, one of the kids got something the other day in the mail that says, you need a brag sheet. <laughs> now, we understand that when you look for a job, you have to have a resume, and you get your resume, and you write it all out. And in, in honesty, you're looking for a job. You tell people what you can do. You tell people what you can't do. That's, that's honest. But what we're talking about here is a lot of times people are looking for a job, or, or they just brag about themselves. They're being taught today to boast and exaggerate about themselves. Now, when we think about men who are aspiring for leadership in the church, most of the time what we're looking for are men who are already doing it. You with me? Men who are already out there doing things. And so that's one of the things you look look at in Acts chapter 6, the men who were chosen to be deacons, they were already doing the deaking. They were already doing it. And we are looking for ministers, we look for ruling elders and deacons who are serving. And one of the things we do, we will, we will train men, we nominate men, we examine men, certify men, and we elect. The church elects men. And if a man toots his own horn, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and sometimes a man, if he toots his own horn, it's kind of like, is this man humble enough? Does this man meet that criteria of humility, one of those chief virtues we look for? Well, is Samuel tooting his own horn? It sure sounds like he is, but he's not because this is God's man. This is God's prophet. This is a man who's been called by God and who has gone out and ministered to the people of God. And yes, he's saying some things about himself, but they're all true. And if you look in the Bible, if you look in the scriptures, what you find are godly men like Samuel. When they come to the end of their lives, they explain what they've been doing for their lives. They give a final address, and when they give this final address, the words are solemn and serious. If you go and you study Moses, if you go and look at Joshua, now, you know, I tried, I've had to 
decrease some of the stuff I wrote in the sermon because I'm trying to make sure we don't stay here till too long. But you remember, as for me and my house, we what? We will serve the Lord. That's the word that Joshua says at the end of his life. The apostle Paul does the same thing. Jesus does the same thing. These men summarize their ministries. They give clear and concise statements in regard to the faithfulness they had towards God. And then what they do is they say, I've been leading you and I'm going to challenge you to continue with the Lord and obey him when I'm off the scene. Jesus, before he dies on the cross, he institutes the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate tonight. Then we read John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and those wonderful words that were given. Jesus dies in John 18 and 19, and then he rises from the dead, and what does he do? He goes and tells the men to go out and make disciples. He goes out and tells them what to do. He charges them. Well, Samuel is in front of the the people of Israel, it's a courtroom setting. In verse 3, he says this, Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. So he's before all the people. He's before King Saul, and he says, bear witness against me. Okay? It's a solemn time here. He confronts them with his life, and he calls them all to judge him. Is he guilty or is he innocent? He declares that if there's any point of deficiency in his life, he'll make it right. And here's why he's doing it. Now, we don't, get to, we don't get to get here tonight, but I'm going to tell you what's on the way. He's thinking like this. He's about to give them his farewell speech, his farewell words. And he's informing them that they need to do a certain thing as they transition from the invisible king who's been leading them, God, to serving a king who's visible And the king and the nation need to stay and remain underneath God. We've been saying this all along. It's great to have a king as long as a king is under God and not walking around thinking he is God. And so these are the words that he's going to say later. And I'm just going to give you a very short snippet of them. This is verses 14, 15, 24, and 25. He says these are the words we'll be looking at in the future. Fear the Lord. Serve the Lord, listen to the Lord, and be what? Be blessed. (laughs) Rebel against the Lord, and be what? Be cursed. These are the most important words he's going to speak. They're coming in the future, and right now what he's doing is he's getting ready to give Israel these excellent words because these are the most important words that they can hear. But one of the points, and this is the point of the sermon tonight, the effect of these excellent words on the hearts of Israel through Samuel are very dependent on many variables. And one of those variables has to do with the disposition of the people towards the prophet. You know, that's very important. The disposition of the people towards the prophet as he speaks to them. God's word is always God's word. God's word is always God's word. If I read it and preach it or whoever reads it and preaches it. God's word is always God's word. If a dad reads it at home or a mom reads it at home, it's always God's word. But the effect of these excellent words is very, very, has a, has a, the effect is very, um, has a great deal to do with how we feel about who's delivering them. Has a great deal to do with how, how we feel about the person who's speaking them. They're excellent. The exegesis, the sermon might be great, but it can be hindered if the preacher is all talk and he never ever walks what he says and talks about. 
If you never ever know his love for you, if you never ever know that he cares for you, if you never ever know that he prays for you, well, you, know, you may not like listening to him as much. But if you care about him and you know that he cares about you, well, you know, I, I'm going to listen to that guy. Same thing happens with mom and dad at home. If moms and dads love their kids, their kids listen to their words uh, less hindered. I mean, we're always, we always have to deal with our own, you know, sometimes inability to listen that well. If a preacher loves you, if the mama loves you, if the daddy loves you, then our hearts are more open to the person who's speaking those words to us. There's greater weight and greater effect. And this is what we're talking about here as we think about Samuel. Samuel's words have great effect on these people because his whole life has been about the Lord and his whole life has been about the people. Never could they say it's been all about him. It's not been all about him. He can appeal to them with greatest confidence that he's interested in the glory of God and the good of their, those people. He's denied himself many things in order to put their needs ahead of his. He cannot be accused of taking any bribes. He's had all kinds of opportunities to do so. He's itinerated all over Israel. He's preached in all the homes. He's preached in every town, never taken a bribe. No one can accuse him of anything. And they know that he loves them. They know that he's rebuked them when they didn't want to hear it. <laughs> and they know that he's always been there and meant it for their good. And so these words, these big words that are coming in 14 and 15 in verses 24 and 25, they're coming, but they come. They will come from a person that cares a great deal about them. And so the first point tonight is this. Saul, Samuel urges upon the people his sweet reasonableness. We get that in verse 1. Samuel said to all the people, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. That is sweet reasonableness. He hasn't been ill-disposed to the people. He hasn't been insecure. He hasn't locked horns with these people. He hasn't tried to defend everything he said to these people and win his point. He says, I have listened to your voice in all that you said. One translation says, in everything. <laughs> in everything that you've said, I have listened to your voice. I've been quick to hear and I've been slow to speak. I've been quick to hear and slow to anger. And folks, listen, he could have been angry, <laughs> right? He's listened. He's done. He could have demolished them. But he was been, he's been anything but demolishing. He's always been reasonable. Remember when they came to him and desired a king. <laughs> you remember what they said? You're old. <laughs> You're old. And your sons, they don't walk the way you walk. And it hurt him. And he goes to the Lord in prayer. Instead of sticking them, he goes to the Lord and he prays. And when he prays to the Lord, the Lord says, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. And then the Lord tells him to go back and tell him what's going to happen if you have a king. And he tells him, you tell him that this king, he'll be a taker and not a giver. Remember that sermon? He's going to be a taker and not a giver. Go back, he tells them, and they still insist on having a king. <laughs> and he doesn't demolish them then. Next thing that he does is he goes out and he says, I'll help you pick him. So he goes out and he helps them with finding Saul. I have listened to you. I've helped you along. I've appointed for you a king. I've walked before you. I've listened. 
And now I have important words to come, and I want you to listen to what I say. Is your life characterized by sweet reasonableness? Do people feel like they can come and talk to you and you will listen? Do people feel like they can come and talk to you and you might disagree with them, but you won't disagree with them to the point that you won't have anything else to do with them? You know, one of the things that I learned, and this is a weird, this is one of those things, I, I, my life is my life, but I worked in the hospital and I worked with all these people and they all knew. And when I was in the gym, I worked with all these people and I came to find out when I left and went to California, somebody said, said, yeah, you're the five-point Calvinist. I was going, oh, wow, that's new to me. I didn't know anybody called me that. But you know all the people, what these gals and guys would do, they would come to me and go, well, I know you disagree with me living with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, but I need some help. I need somebody I know won't jump on me. Would you please help me? I already know about the girlfriend that I'm living with. I know you don't agree with that. Would you help me here, though? <laughs> you know, everybody needs somebody who cares for their heart. And so this one young man, he comes to me in California, and he drives up in his big 250 and, you know, the four seats and the big air conditioning and the whole thing, right? And so I'm sitting in his car. He takes me over to Subway, and he tells me, he starts telling me about his fiance, and he's almost like he's taking his heart out and put it on the, he's put it on the table in front of me. He says, what do I do? And I said, well, I better take care of his heart the same way Jesus has taken care of mine. And I told him, I was totally ready for him to be angry with me, but I told him what he needed to do. It took him eight weeks to do it. It was hard, but he did it. You know, people need us to be reasonable. Calvin in his golden booklet, you know, we men are reading this, and he says this. This is a quote. This is, of course, a translation of something he wrote. It says, love of your neighbor is not dependent upon the manner of men, but your love to your neighbor looks to God. And what he means by that is this. Whether men deserve our sweetness or our reasonableness, we look to God. We look to God in the man. We look to the image of God in the man, and we can, even though they may not deserve anything from us, and sometimes they don't, do they? We look to the, God, the image of God in them, and we can love them according to those circumstances we find ourselves in with them. We can be sweet and reasonable to them as we have the opportunity Galatians 6.10 says, So then whether we have, while we have opportunity, let us do good to how many men? All men. <laughs> All men. Even the ones who don't deserve us to be good to them. We can pray for them. And especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That is sweetness and reasonableness. We might make them anger, angry when we're sweet and reasonable with them. I'm not saying that we won't. We may not be well received. But we are to do the best we can to love all men and especially all those in the household of the faith. Samuel was approachable and he was someone who could speak with and listen. Jesus was approachable and he was easy to access. And you and I, we need to be sweet and reasonable. Second, Samuel urges us or urges them his, upon them his spiritual stability his spiritual stability. But he says, I am old and great, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Now think about what he just said. <laughs> I'm old and great, but I've walked before you for how long? How long? I can go back to, what, three years of age myself. 
right? We know what we've studied about old Samuel and we studied about Hannah. Remember those days when Hannah was praying for a son and said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Well, she brought him three years later and she dumps him off into Eli's hands. Now listen carefully. He didn't learn to disobey God the way Eli did. He didn't wait to obey God till late in life when he should have disciplined his sons early. Remember, he, no, no, Samuel's obeying God from the beginning. Samuel's one over there lighting the lamps at night. He's keeping the lamps lit at night. He's the little Samuel who's obeying the voice of the Lord. He doesn't disregard the sacrifices like Hophni and Phinehas, but he regards them and he understands that forgiveness of sin comes through those sacrifices. And so he doesn't hold them in contempt. He's a man who loves God. He understands the forgiveness of God. He battles against sin. He never takes ever a bribe, ever. He had every opportunity to do so. He preached repentance to the people. He told them to turn back to God. This is stability. This is a man who holds fast to one mission and one direction and one master. And that is what we're talking about when we say spiritual stability. It demands that these people listen to what he has to say next time when he comes to that. Young people, how you should listen to this life of Samuel when does the writer, the preacher to the Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes, he says that you and I, we need to begin to walk with God as early as possible. Learn and begin to walk with God as soon as you can. If you can talk to your mom and dad, young people, if you can talk to your mom and dad, you can begin to, to seek after the Lord with all your heart. And he tells us we should seek him in his word. You should think to yourself, hey, listen, Samuel talks all about these sacrifices. And, you know, those sacrifices are all about one final sacrifice. And your mom and daddy can teach you in John 1.29 where John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can learn about the final sacrifice. You can seek him in his house. Now, when we say seek the Lord in his house, we're not talking about, no, I like this. I do like this. Now, I know that all these guys are going to be glad when we don't set it up. <laughs> one, one time when we don't set it up. But, but I do like it because it's beautiful, right? But we're not talking about a house. We're talking about a bunch of people. We're talking about a bunch of you folks all together. We're talking about a place where the Word of God is read and where people love God and walk with God and where we hear the Word of God. You know what the Bible says about Samuel's words? It says not one of them fell to the ground. And if you find God's Word in this place, not one of His words to you will fall to the ground. We're told to seek the Lord in prayer. Again, back to the idea, if you can talk to your mom and dad, you can talk to God. It you don't have to have the, best, the greatest words in the world. You just have to start praying, right, Evan? You just have to start praying. You just have to start talking to God and say, Lord, I need you. I want to obey you. I want to love you. So we seek the Lord in his word, in his house, and in prayer. Young men and young women, learn from the spiritual stability of Samuel. Of Samuel, and when I say young men and young women, you know it's it's. Did you know that it's okay to say that you're young when you're sixty, or young at heart, maybe closer to seventy, right? Young at heart, are you young at heart? You and I, we are young. We're young at heart, and you and I, we must do battle against the evil one. We must do battle against the sin that remains in us, and we must be stable, just like Samuel. When do you start? Soon as today? If you hadn't started already, start today. 
You want to be you want to be stable when you're 70? When are you going to start? You just start today. And I talked to a woman over at Ben's. Uh, you know, the time we did our deal, went over there and watched Ben do his performance with Kristoff and Emily. And there's a woman in there. She has a harp. And I said, uh, "How long have you been playing that?" She said, "I bought it when I was 56." <laughs> so I don't know. She's probably 80, right? You're probably close to 80. So she's been, well, she hadn't been playing, but 20, well, she's been playing a pretty long time. If you're 56 and you come to Christ now, you live for Christ till you die, right? You start now. What do you want when you're old? Let's make it real easy. Stuff or God? Stuff or God's people? Stuff or relationships? Do you know that stuff will never hold you when you feel bad? Do you know that stuff will never take you to the hospital? Do you know that stuff will never talk to you when you're down? Do you know that stuff is never going to help you out when you're down? No, never. But if you have God and you have God's people, that's stability. And how do you have those people? Well, you have to build those relationships. You have to do, I wrote this down, you have to do first things first. I've been sitting meditating on Revelation chapter 2 and that just really got me. You have to do first things first. So in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus and he says this, This I have against you, that you have left your love the first. Did you hear how I said that? You have left your love the first. Now how do we translate that when we talk about it in English? You left your first love. You left your first your, your love the first. He has... He is saying, hey, listen, I'm complimenting you. You have held fast to doctrine. You've held fast to the truth. You have figured out apostles that are false versus ones that are true. I'm really applauding all of that. But you have, I have this against you. You've left your love the first. And he says this, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds that you did at first. They love Jesus, but they just don't love him as much as they did. They love the family of God. They just don't love each other as much as they did. Now, now, guys, look. These are illustrations, so don't push me too hard, okay? I mean, I'll capitulate if you come talk to me later. But you know what they did? They just stopped drinking coffee. They stopped seeing that donuts are important. They stopped They stopped being together, intentionally liking each other and loving each other and praying for each other. They gave these things up. They left off their love the first. And he's saying you got to go back. you got to go back to the things that brought it to this, to this loving uh, relationship in the first place. It's a thousand little things that make a difference. Like I told you this morning, I gave myself away a little bit. But I used to have a man and a woman come on Wednesday night after the Wednesday night service. And they would come and one would come in his car. She would come in her car. They would come in the door different times. They'd sit on opposite sides of the room. And there was an elephant between them. You know what that elephant was made of? A thousand things left undone and not done. It's not big things most of the time. It's little things and so i was thinking about this and uh so I've, I've told some of these fellas this but in this book the ideal team player there's a guy named jeff and claire and bobby and this is all this is all a parable but jeff and claire and bobby they're looking for the ideal team to build and make this it's called valley builders and valley builders are sold out to humble hungry and smart humble people they're sold out to hungry people who work hard 
the smart people who are smart with other people. And so they're sold out to that. And so they're, they're, they're talking to their employees. And anytime an employee is lacking in one of those key virtues, they, uh, they tell them that you need to grow in this area. And then they go and they're trying to hire 80 to 100 people because all this work is there in front of them. And they're telling every person they interview that we're sold out to humble, hungry, and smart. And so Bobby knows about a man named Ted Marchbanks. And Ted Marchbanks, he's made another company, jillions of dollars. And, and he knows, hey, this guy's probably retired a little bit too early, probably a little bit bored. Let's go talk to him and see if he wants to work for us. And so they bring him in and they go through the hiring process. And so they're moving along. And they said, now, Mr. Marchbanks, uh, Kim is going to take you to your next appointment. And Ted goes, who? Who did you say? Kim is going to take you to your next appointment. Who? <laughs> and it bothered, it bothered Bobby and Claire and Jeff. You know why? Because he didn't value the secretary. That's a little thing, isn't it? So they went ahead and they interviewed him and they told him, they said, we're sold out to hungry and humble and smart. And if you're not happy with hung, humble, hungry, and smart, you probably won't enjoy being here. And they said, please send us some more references. He promised to do so. And they never heard from him again. Because he wasn't sold out to humble, hungry, and smart. It's just those little things. It's just those little things about working at remembering names. I'm not really, I'm not going to be hard on you if you don't remember everybody's name. You know that. But it's those little things left undone that harms the church. It's those little things left undone that cause a man and a woman to sit on, or a man and a man to sit on opposite sides of the church and never the two shall meet again. It's just those little things that we leave undone, those soft touches left undone, tender words not said. It's the coffee, it's the donuts not being broad and talk, you know, using them to talk to each other over. It's a thousand little things that bring us together and a thousand little things can cause us to go apart. Do you want to be like Samuel? Well, start with age 40 if you want to be like Samuel when he's 80. And if you're not, if you just start at 50, well, start at 50. Start doing these little things and keep your love the first alive. Well, finally, Samuel urges upon them his spotless integrity. He says, here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. And he says, have I taken an ox? He hasn't. Have I taken a bribe? He hasn't. He hasn't defrauded them. He hasn't taken anything to blind his eyes. And back in those days, corruption in the Middle East was rampant. And it's still rampant today, right? <laughs> we, want, we got a testimony here. Um, we could talk about that later. But corruption's commonplace. In fact, many times before ever, quote, justice is, quote, served, the wheels of justice have been greased with silver and gold. And the persons who put up the most money, they get the verdict they want. Samuel never did it. He never took any more money than he should have taken, and he had all these opportunities, but because of his stability, he never did it. He never, ever was oppressed pressing towards anyone. He never took a bribe. How did Samuel ever come to live like this? Why was Samuel living like this? Why do you go out and work eight hours or more for your boss? Why do you go out and work 
and you work as hard as you can, whether you're being watched or not. Why do you go out and pay somebody for the work that they do and pay them on time? Why do you go out and you're honest when you take tests? And all you students, all you master students, why do you pay close attention not to cheat on your test? Why do you pay close attention to the words that you say? Why do you pay close attention to what your eyes look at? Why do you give yourself to the word of God and pay close attention to it? Why would you say, get thee behind me, Satan? Why would you want to be in this place tonight and eat the Lord's Supper and drink the blood, body and blood of Christ? Why would you do that? Well, I think the answer is the love of God. That's why. We're not inclined to it. We're spiritually natural men. We don't love the things of God, but if you find yourself here tonight, it's because of the love of God. Think about Samuel. God chose the nation of Israel to be his very own. He chose to save them out of bondage and to dwell among them. He chose to deliver them. He chose to protect them. He chose to discipline them, and Samuel was a member of this nation. Better still, Samuel understood that the love of God was for these people, and he understood that God loved him and God touched him. He understood that the sacrifice was not just something that was being done, but he saw the love and the forgiveness of his sins in the sacrifice, and so he was devoted to the Lord. Tonight we have the privilege to commune with the Lord Jesus Christ at the table. In those words of institution, we remind ourselves, Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he says, take it and do this. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He says, to take it and to drink it. He tells us to do it often. He tells us to do it until he comes. And tonight, why would we want to do it? Why would we want to do it? Only because the love of God has touched our hearts. When you catch sight of the love of God, when you catch sight of God giving His Son for you on the cross, you'll do anything that you find in His excellent Word that He tells you to do. You will obey Him. And this, this evening, what does He tell you to do? Have you all ever thought about this? I know this may be silly. But he does tell you, if you're his child, he tells you to take this bread. Take it. <laughs> take the bread. Take the cup. Eat and drink. It's an obedient thing we do tonight. The Lord bids you to eat. Have you been touched by his love? Are you here because only his love explains your being here? If you're here tonight and you're a member of his church, you professed your faith. You've, you go to a church, this church. I, I think I recognize every single person in here. <laughs> you're a member of his church, and you're submitting yourself to a session of elders. This table is for you. Jesus says he'll nourish you, and he'll take care of you. Uh, if you don't know what we're doing, and maybe some of our young people don't know exactly what, what we're doing, I'm going to ask you to just think about the love of God and how you need to respond to it. Seek him in his word, we said a while ago. Seek him in the house. Seek him in prayer and come to know him. First things first, love Jesus first, then come and eat, the ta eat at the table with Jesus second. If someone here tonight is struggling with a sin, 
you need to eat. It's for people who are humble. It's for people who are broken over their sin. It's for people who need God's grace. So tonight, let's take the cup and let's take the bread as Jesus gives himself to us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight, we praise you tonight for what we've studied in Samuel. Make us those who are sweet and reasonable. Make us those who are stable. And Lord, we pray that you will help us, Lord, to know the love of God in our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you will take these elements and set them apart from their common and sacred use. We pray that we would eat to the glory of God and drink to the glory of God and that we would be nourished in our hearts by faith as we feed upon you and your spiritual presence. And we pray that this will be done for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.